0: Now, we're back in the book of Psalms here, and we've covered uh, quite a bit, and this has been, um, I don't know about you, but this has, has been just a wonderful blessing to me. We've learned quite a few things about the book of Psalms. Um, we learned about how the book uh, was arranged. Um, we discovered that it, the book was arranged into um, into five books. We also uh, learned about the different uh, categories of the book arrangement of these psalms. So not only do we have this five book arrangement, which pretty much kind of mirrors that of the Hebrew Torah, the first five books or the uh, Pentateuch, as we um, have come to know it. Uh, These five books are the uh, collection of a certain group of psalms. Book one is uh, Psalms one through 41. Um, Book two is Psalms 42 through 72. Uh, Three is 73 through 89. Four is 90 through 106 and five is 107 through 150. Uh, We've also learned that in addition to this five book arrangement in which the Psalms are, uh, in which the Psalms are divided, there are subdivision divisions and we um, learned what those were in previous lessons. There are seven of those uh, subcategories. And as I told you before, the Psalms really can be divided um, much more, uh, uh, in a much more uh, defined way or um, kind of a, um, you can break it into even more topics than just uh, the seven. Seven is pretty much uh, generally accepted. However, today I will actually add an eighth one on today. Um, For those of you who have missed it before, the seven that we have today are, uh, that we know of are praise, lament, trust, Him. Thanksgiving, wisdom, and royal. These are the seven uh, subcategories by which the psalms are kind of traditionally divided. Today we will add on an eighth. We also learned, um, we also learned uh, um, the uh, uh, we also learned that the psalms actually in scripture have uh, some instructions or some guidelines. So we learned what the psalms are. We know we should now know that they are um, a collection. Um, uh, from various writers. We learned that not all the songs were written by one person. Traditionally, people love to categorize them or attribute them all to David. No, David didn't write all of them. He wrote some of them. God used other uh, authors um, to write the Psalms. We also learned that it is precisely because of this, because God used multiple authors, it is difficult to pin down the exact dating of the Psalms because you have different writers who were writing at different times. So when it comes to the book of Psalms, it's going to be a little bit more difficult uh, for those of you who like to get into uh, precisely when a book was uh, written. You're going to find it a little bit difficult when you uh, when you start to uh, look into the Psalms. And I think a suggestion that we made to you earlier in a few uh, lessons uh, early, we said that you probably do better if this is something that you want to do, look into when they were Actually, pinned, you'll probably do better looking into when a specific psalm was as opposed to the entire book because the book is a collection of multiple psalms. Amen. Uh, we also learned, um, uh, we saw examples in this in the scripture, an example in the scripture, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 27 through 30. Uh, verse 30 in particular, we learned, and we saw that David's chief musician, who was also a prophet, Asaph. Um, we've learned there that in Chronicles under the leadership of King Hezekiah that, uh, the child, that the Levites at the time were directed to sing, amen, the words of David uh, and uh, Asaph the seer or Asaph uh, the prophet. Um, when we discovered that when the scripture tells us that they were instructed to sing these, um, these words the words that they would have been singing were the Psalms, amen. Asaph is also one of the writers God used to pen some of the Psalms, amen. So when we see in 2 Chronicles 29 verse 30 that instruction given to the uh, Levites um, then uh, automatically what we should associate that with is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is often referred to by many people as the hymn book of the Bible, amen. We learned about um, um, uh, a lot about that. We also learned and we, last week um, that as with the Psalms um, and their uh, intended purpose to be sung, um, we also talked about how there is a psalm for every situation, every circumstances. We are able to take the Psalms and we are able to use the Psalms um, and that is exactly what God wants us to do. We uh, learned also, however, um, that in addition to that, um, as closely as um, the Psalms are um, intertwined with prayer, so too are the Psalms intertwined with music, amen. Um, we know that David was a musician. We also learned that um, David had uh, an orchestra of over 4,000 uh, 4, uh, individuals. And you can read that in First Chronicles chapter 23, verse 5. I believe I gave that uh, out uh, to you on last week. So not only do we have prayer and do we have praise and all of these other things intertwined very closely within the Psalms, you also have music that was a very much part of Psalms and the uh, administering or the ministering with the Psalms. Amen. The Bible does tell us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, amen. And so this was something wonderful. There were um, quite a few different instruments um, that were used um, during those times and, um, and 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 um, and I actually invite you, encourage you to look up that uh, because there were uh, quite a few uh, instruments that were used in the temple worship. The psalms were meant to be sung, and part of that meant that because they were meant to be sung, they were put to music often um, in the past. And so you find music and the psalms being tightly intertwined. Amen. We also learned that Psalms uh, have instructions. We saw in Ephesians 5, 17 through 19, and we saw in Colossians uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 16, and then we also saw again in James chapter 5, verse 13. Um, when we look at the collection of these scriptures here, this scripture set, we discover that these Psalms here, that the Psalms were meant to be used for personal edification but they're also meant to be used, amen, uh, for the teaching and edification of our brothers and sisters. Um, Ephesians 5, 17 through 19 and Colossians 3 and 16 are extremely important because they add a lot of context um, and a lot of insight as to how the Psalms are to be used. When you get to these scriptures, you're in the New Testament. So now you fast forward it from the Old Testament and what you're looking at is the continued use of the Psalms and you get to see that, uh, especially in the time um, of the New Testament writers, amen. Um, that's very ex- that is extremely significant, extremely significant for us. Why is that? Because in the New Testament, we see the uh, formal uh, beginning of the church age, amen. We see that in the book of Acts. And so when we get to the New Testament, and we find these instructions, amen, uh, we can take that literally as instructions for how we as the saints or we as the church are supposed to use these psalms, amen. That's a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Not only is there a psalm for everything, for every situation but the Psalms can be used or should be used in a specific way. Now I wanna turn your attention to uh, eighth category. Now I told you we've got seven different categories. We gave you praise, we gave you lament, we talked about trust, we talked about hymn, we talked about thanksgiving, we talked about wisdom and we talked about the Royal Psalms and we have given um, scriptures or some uh, books that are representations amen of these seven categories but as i said before these are seven categories that are kind of commonly used but they are not the only ones and that there are more well today we're going to add an eighth category and that category is that of the prophetic psalms amen because this is an actual kind of a category of psalms definitely worth Looking into in and of itself. Um, And I praise God that we kind of saved it for here because uh, diving into that is really such a wonderful subject, such a deep subject that it's worth going over in and of itself. So we have an eighth category. And on your screen, for those of you who are looking, um, we're looking, um, you have a subtitle called Psalms and Prophecy. Amen. And um, there are uh, prophecy or prophetic. Um, songs, Psalms are also a category of the Psalms. Amen. The Psalms, many of them, are prophetic or messianic in nature. Amen. When we say messianic, what we mean by that, for those of you who may not have actually uh, heard that term, okay. When we say messianic, uh, what we mean is is that not only are these songs of prophecy or songs that contain prophecy okay but they don't just contain general prophecy no um it is more of a specific prophecy that they concern or there is a certain specific category or realm in which the prophecy um um uh, addresses uh messianic simply means that these type of prophecies that are found in the book of psalms point to the messiahship of jesus okay so keeping in mind the psalms were written in the old testament times so during the writing of the psalms or the recording of these psalms uh you have to understand and keep in mind that jesus has not yet come amen Amen. Not in human form. So, in other words, he has not uh, been born yet. He is. He, he. He's not on the scene at this point. And often, what God would do through the prophet, the prophet is a messenger. Amen. And a prophet can be either authorized or unauthorized. Amen. We have a lot of people. Uh, it's not. It's. It's. You. There. There are. Uh, I, I've seen a number of people who, who love to throw. Um, the term prophet around and, and, and today in religious circles It's not uncommon to hear people say or refer to someone, especially in introductions um, That this person is a is a prophet or that person is a prophet in the Bible We do know that a prophet can be male or female. So there is a prophet and there are prophetesses and you and um, The biblical prophets are prophets that were authorized by God. Now you got some un you got uh, uh, some unauthorized prophets as well. These are individuals who claim to be prophets, but they are not. The Bible also teaches us that when it comes to prophets, that the test of a prophet to know whether or not that prophet is indeed legitimate or not is whether or not the prophecies come true. Amen. So, in order to be a qualified, or in other words, to be a legal, biblically legal Prophet, amen. We're going to deal a little bit with prophecy, and it will back into uh, the prophetic psalms. But in order to be considered uh, a a authorized prophet, amen, um, or to be pro- you you, you're, you it, it wasn't a thing that you could just claim. Although you had people who would just claim that, but in order for it to be legitimate, then that prophet since the criteria for a prophet is that of the uh, coming to fruition or the fulfillment of that which they prophesied, then the track record or the proof that a prophet is indeed a called prophet is fulfillment. Amen. Fulfillment of prophecy is what qualifies or proves the prophet. Amen. I'm going to say it again. Fulfillment of prophecy is the proof. It is the license. It is what qualifies. It is what establishes the prophet as being true or prophetess as being true or not. Amen. Prophecy needs. Fulfillment. Amen. And without that fulfillment for prophecy, amen, then that so called prophet, if it's not been fulfilled, is not and cannot be considered an authorized or a true prophet of God. The hallmark of God's prophets is fulfillment. God calls a prophet, amen. God, the Bible teaches us in the spirit in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ, the Word of Him, is the spirit of prophecy, amen. So then, prophecy is a spirit, it is God. The prophet is the man. The prophet is no good if prophecy is not residing within him and bringing to fruition the words that the prophet is authorized to speak. The prophet can speak words or self-fulfilling prophecy. What would that be? Oh, I prophesy that I will, will eat lunch today. Well well duh, that's pretty common. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty much off-the-shelf prophecy. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy but the prophets of God didn't operate that way. Now, a prophet often foretold or proclaimed future events, amen, or events that had not yet come to pass. There are, and they covered different categories, amen, when you deal with the the prophet. They spoke um, that knowledge or that information that was beyond their human capability to know had it not been for divine intervention or divine enlightenment. Meaning that the words of a prophet often transcended what that prophet currently knew. They were speaking of future events, amen. And these prophet who spoke of these future events didn't have the power in and of themselves to bring about the fruition of these prophecies. That had to be done by God alone. This is why a true prophet is moving by the spirit of prophecy, which is just another term or another descriptive title for God Almighty. God is a spirit, and he is a Holy Spirit. So then Holy Spirit is another title of God. He is a Holy Spirit, but he's not just holy. He is also a prophetic spirit. He is, and the Bible calls it in the book of Revelation, the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Glory to God. So we learn these different aspects and we learn these different things about God. So we have these a prophet, we have these prophets that God would speak through or prophetesses. And oftentimes what God would do is, is, is that God would use a prophet in order to speak a message. Now, one definition that you probably can use for prophecy is that of an oral uh, divine message mediated through. An individual that is directed, that message that is directed at a person or a group of people, and that message is intended to elicit or bring about a specific response. So it's a divine message that is mediated or is given through an individual, and that message is directed to either a person, it's either directed or to a group of people. But it is always for the purpose, talking about divine prophecy here, or biblical prophecy, it was always designed to bring about a very specific response. Whatever it was that God's desire was, whatever it is that he was intending or he wanted to have come across or he wanted to transpire, amen, there would be a prophet, a man or a prophetess that God would send, with a message. The message he sent them with was a message that had God not spoken it to that prophet, there would have been no way for that prophet to even know. And that message when given to the person or to the people, the prophecy, amen, then became the responsibility of the recipient. And it fell on those in whom The prophecy was given, it became their task in order to respond or not respond to the word of God, amen. Prophets or the role of a prophet is a divine or a biblical role. There are many different roles uh, that, that God assigns in the scripture and the prophet is also one of those roles. God calls the prophet and then God sends the prophet, but the prophet has to have a message because the prophecy, because it has to have a prophecy, the prophet has to have a message that has come from God Almighty or the spirit of prophecy. Why? Because when we say they are sent or they have to be sent with a message that has come from the spirit of prophecy, that means that they gotta be sent with a message that comes directly from God. Why is that? It has to be that way because the proof or the validation of that prophet, as we said earlier, is that the prophecy must come to fruition, all right? It has to come to pass. God is the only one that can cause prophecy to come to pass. God's got to orchestrate a thing. And then when he orchestrates a thing or he sets a thing up, then what God does is that he will send a messenger. This messenger would typically, especially in the Old Testament, would be um, titled as a prophet. And that prophet simply recounted or dictated to the person or to the people or to that group of people, he simply or she simply dictated the plan that God had already put into put into play. Amen. When a prophet or prophetess was operating by the spirit of prophecy or by the spirit of God, we're using those terms spirit of prophecy and spirit of God interchangeably. Amen. When the prophet or the prophetess was operating under the spirit of prophecy or by the spirit of God, it meant that the prophet didn't have to worry about whether or not they were going to come off as counterfeit or not. No, as long as they were distributing or handing out the words as dictated by God. This means that they could not be adding to the scripture or the word. They couldn't just be coming up with their own uh, prophecy. They couldn't just decide they wanted to say this and it wasn't a a situation where they could go ahead and just start saying something and talking all willy-nilly, just whatever comes up in their mind comes out. Absolutely not. A prophet was not authorized to say what he or she simply wanted to say. No, that message had to be directed by God. Why? Because if it was not directed by God, it meant there was no chance of that prophecy coming to fulfillment and a prophet needs fulfillment because fulfillment is the proof of the office. Amen. Glory to God. In fact, prophecy is probably one of the one, or it might be the only office um, of the different ministries that God has given. Amen. That um, where the proof of that thing is found in fulfillment. There isn't really any other uh ministry that God, Um, has given to the church um, that uh, requires that so heavily requires something to take place in order to validate that, that ministry. Amen. Prophecy or the role of the prophet is one of those ministries that absolutely is very unique because it literally requires God to back that man or that woman up, that prophecy. In other words, that prophecy without the spirit of prophecy moving and dictating, meaning that prophet was just talking on his or her own or whatever, that prophecy would fall flat, amen. And the Bible is very, very, very harsh, very, very specific when it talks about um, those prophet, false prophets. God in the scripture, man, I'm telling you, that is one of those things that God absolutely hates why because a prophet or a prophetess whenever they speak and this is why you got to be careful when you start throwing out titles and you start going around talking about you will profit this and you will profit that and all this other kind of stuff you got you listen brothers and sisters you got to be careful when it comes to using those terms especially when you're going to describe that or you're going to attribute that role or that office to you know, to yourself because the proof of whether or not that's true is if your prophecy, or what you're talking about, comes true. And there's a whole lot of people that go around talking about and loving to claim the title of a prophet, and they try to use that as a, um, uh, I, and I, they try to use that to 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 to, to bolster or make themselves look good and so on and so forth. Listen, let let God call you a prophet. Amen. Let God call you a prophet. Don't, let, let, if, don't go around calling yourself a prophet. Most times what you, you will find is, is that many times people, um, you know, when God is moving, they will speak prophetically. And many times they aren't even aware that they are speaking prophetically. They will make a statement, okay? And have no idea that the statement that they have made is prophetic in nature. And just because a person speaks God uses at times a person um, and inspires them to speak a message that is prophetic because that does happen. That can happen. Uh, Caiaphas, the high priest at the time of um, the crucifixion of Christ, made a statement. If I'm not mis- if I'm not mistaken, that it was expedient that one should die for the people. Now he was the high priest and he wasn't claiming to be no prophet and and he was in cahoots with every with everybody else in that whole conspiracy. to execute execute Jesus. He was part of that whole thing. Yet he made a statement that it was expedient, it was necessary for one to die on behalf of the people. He had no idea how prophetic that statement was because it was necessary that somebody had to die in order to pay for the penalty that is yours and my sin. Sin always cost something and it had to be paid for. Many people, when they're speaking, there are times where people will speak and they will say prophetic things, but that does not mean that that person is necessarily called to the office of a prophet. The office of a prophet is a calling, and the proof of that office is the fulfillment of prophecy. However, there are times where God will send prophecy or prophetic statements And he will send those out without the use of one that has been designated as a prophet, amen. God will speak through whoever he chooses to speak, whenever he chooses to speak through them, amen. And many times, and some oftentimes, God will speak in a prophetic way. So we have this prophecy and we have prophecy um, which is, uh, not just the spoken words, but prophecy is actually the spirit of God. And in order for prophecy to come to pass, it's got to come from the spirit of God. Now we said that the Psalms are, prophet- that many of the Psalms are prophetic in nature or prophetic or messianic. And they are that because as you have on your screen, they shed light on and they often capture a couple things. They capture the, these prophetic or messianic Psalms they shed light on, or the character of Jesus. When you read them, you read about them, um, you read about, you can see within them the personality of Jesus. And you can also see, or the personality that Jesus would have, keep in mind, because this is, we're talking about the Psalms, we're talking about the Old Testament. So we are talking about before Christ has come on the scene. And so these psalms, as with the other books of the Old Testament, there are other books where God has uh, prophecies that are spoken forth by his prophets or his messengers that point to the coming of the Messiah. Um, There are books uh, in the Bible that are uh, referred to as the collection of these books are referred to as the prophets. These are the books that will have your, um, these will be your Jeremiah and your um, Isaiah, and this will be your um, your Ezekiel. This will be your um, Hosea, and there will be all, and uh, um, it'll be your Micah, and all of these prophets. So both the major and minor uh, prophetic books, and within many of these books and others as well, um, you find uh, prophecies or the words of God being spoken. And many of these speak to the coming of the Messiah, who had not come at that point. Jesus had not come at that time. So you see them in the, those books that are traditionally um, counted as books of um, being penned by the prophets, but prophetic messages, and especially messianic uh, message, prophetic messages did not just find their residence in the books of the Bible or Old Testament books that were penned by the prophets specifically. In other words. All of the messianic prophecies concerning Jesus are not simply found in the books of the prophet. So it's not these prophets, major and minor prophets, um, prophetic books in the Bible that we hold and we have today that contain the message of the coming Messiah, that God's going to send somebody to deal with the sins of this world, because that's what we're talking about when we say a messianic prophecy, we're talking about those, we're talking about those prophecies that are giving hints, that are giving clues, that are giving foreshadows, that, that are signaling that there is going to come somebody who's going to deal with the sin issue. They're not just found in the books of the prophets, but when we look at the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms is a very... Excellent example of this It blows the door wide open On the thought and the concept That you're going to find just all of these prophecies In the books of the prophets No, you're not going to just find them there Throughout scripture and throughout the Old Testament Whether that book was uh, one of the major Was a book from one of the major or minor prophets You will find messianic psalms Seated throughout those scriptures And the book of psalms Is, a, is, is, a, is one of those books that really exemplifies this because the Psalms were meant to be sung, amen, and the book itself often referred to as the hymn book of the Bible, but yet also within the Psalms, and as we said, it's the eighth category to the seven subcategories that we previously gave you in other messages or in other uh, lessons. It is a category within the Psalms, um, an eighth category, that fall under the messianic or the prophetic category. And these are those Psalms that shed light, as you see on character, on the character of Jesus, the personality of Jesus, and then various aspects of uh, Jesus and his coming as the promised Messiah. Interesting enough is, is that many of these were written at least a thousand years before he was born. And what's so fascinating about it is is that not only were they written so many years before Jesus comes on the scene in in flesh, but they they were also of such a caliber. They were of such a nature that the fulfillment of these scriptures could only be found in Jesus. In other words, there wasn't anybody else who was even remotely qualified. The prophecies were so specific that they couldn't have been fulfilled by anybody else. And see, and that's the power of divine prophecy. That's the, pro- that's the power of a prophecy that is dictated by the spirit of prophecy or the spirit of God. That's what's so heavy about it. See, when prophecy comes by the hand of God, not some, 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 something that you just didn't come up with or I've come up with. No, we're talking about that real prophecy, that real biblical prophecy. When it comes from God, it doesn't matter how many years or how much of an interval of years reside between the time that a prophecy is given and its fulfillment even today we're waiting on the fulfillment of some prophecy in time prophecy but when the prophecy is given by the spirit of god and that's why it got to come from the spirit of god because only god can bring that prophecy to pass and when god is involved in prophecy you got to understand something timing is not a barrier see god don't get doesn't get sidetracked and his power and his ability to fulfill a thing or bring a thing to fulfillment is not hindered one bit by the stage of history or time. Glory to God. Glory to God. See, when God speaks a thing, when God intends to bring something to pass, God don't have no timetable. Glory to God. And I'm so glad about that. I hope you're glad about that too. When God says he's going to do something, time is not a barrier. What's happening in the world is not a hindrance. What didn't work beforehand is not a barrier. When God speaks and determines to do a thing, brothers and sisters, I want to share with you and just remind some of you that it is going to be done exactly according to to the specifications and the timetable of God. Listen, at no time is God ever governed by time. No, God is not governed by time, but instead he governs time. God is not held in restraints by time. Uh Uh-uh, not at all. God controls time. God manages time. God gives time. And God will do what he wants to do with time. Amen. Glory to God. When the Lord speaks a thing, not even time is able to stop it. When God intends to do something, there's no circumstance. Not even the laws of nature, as this world will call it, not even that can stop God. Because we serve a miracle working God. We serve a God that's got all power, not some power, not a little bit of power, but I'm talking all power, all power of heaven and earth in his hand. Are there some promises that you are waiting on God to do? Are there some things that you need God to do? Have you been in your prayer closet and you talking to God and God confirming and speaking in your spirit that he's going to do something? Has God told you that there's something he's going to do? Can I, I just wanna encourage you, wait on him. Don't don't get ahead of yourself. Don't, Don't sell God short. Don't get caught up in the passage of time. These messianic prophecies, were at least a 1,000 years before their fulfillment. But that 1,000-year time period served no gap and served as no barrier and no hindrance whatsoever to the fulfillment and the plan of God. I want to tell somebody today that the plan of God is the plan. The plan of God is the only plan, and it is the plan that works. The plan of God is the one that you can confidently rely on and trust in. Why? Because God is absolutely a God of his word. He does what he says he's going to do. And he never backs down and he never goes back on his word. Amen. Glory to God. What is a prophetic or uh, messianic song? These are a category of song for those of you who are making notes uh, in which the writer at the direction of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, penned statements that would only and could only be fulfilled by Christ. Amen. And I want to give you some examples or a listing of some of the prophetic psalms. So, for those of you who are um, who are taking notes, these would be uh, a good good list for you to go ahead uh, and write down because. The, the list before you are, um, let me preface it by saying this. This is not the definitive list. So it is not the only list or the full complete list of these Psalms that um, are messianic or prophetic in nature. Amen. But the Psalms that I have listed for you on the screen and that slide will remain up so that you can um, get those notes. But these are the Psalms that contain the statements within them. Um, um, where um, it's most uh, it's easier to see, or there it is most the, the messianic nature of the psalm is most clearly seen. And that messianic nature of some of these psalms, these psalms that point um, to the coming of Jesus Christ, the psalm list that you have before you, they really clearly show that, or they have statements within them. And I do want to encourage you and invite you to actually read, uh, to read those psalms in its, in- in its entirety. Um, each one of them. takes some time. These particular psalms are not really uh, long psalms, so you can really kind of get through all of these um, you know, very, very quickly, but I want to encourage you to do that because it's going to give you some background information and it's going to um, give you information you can use. Um, and you can really kind of research and study on your own. But in this list of Psalms, again, the messianic nature of the Psalm is really clearly seen. In other words, you know, from the start, once you read these Psalms, you, you can see from you can see, OK, yeah, this is literally talking about um, Jesus and the becoming Messiah. But now let's look at some of these um, these Psalms and let's look at some of the um, not just the Psalms, um, um, these messianic Psalms. Um, but let's look at some statements. And these won't necessarily just be from all of these psalms. Uh, we will uh, jump around. But I want to I I give you some examples of what we mean um, by uh, these psalms um, being messianic by showing you not only the messianic psalm, but then I'm going to show you the scripture in the New Testament that points to the fulfillment of that psalm. So uh, in one of the psalms, in Psalms uh, chapter 2, verse 7, and go ahead and turn your Bible Um, to Psalms chapter two, verse seven. Um, And in it, there is a statement, a uh, very uh, messianic and prophetic statement. Um, Verse seven says, I will declare and decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now, for those of you who've been reading the scripture, um, and especially reading the New Testament, that statement ought to be immediately familiar to you because you read that in the New Testament. You see where, you know, um, we we see this, uh, you know, we see this in the scripture in the New Testament referring to Jesus. But also I want you to take a look at. So we see that in the Old Testament. That's in the book of Psalms. That's chapter uh, two, verse number seven. All right. Now let's look at uh, the fulfillment of that. Turn to the book of Acts. And look at verse, chapter 13 and verse 33. And in chapter uh, 13 of the book of Acts, verse 33, verse 33, we read this. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So in Psalms two and seven, you see the statement. You see the prophecy. You see the prophetic statement that is made within that Psalm. And then you get to the book of Acts, amen. And the apostle is explicitly declaring that that Psalm has been fulfilled, amen. Glory to God. Let's take a look at Psalms number uh, Psalms uh, uh, chapter eight, and let's look at verse number six. And we're just going to go through these. This is very good, and I want you to, to 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 if you're taking notes, keep taking notes. And and when we're done with this, spend some time going over that. Psalms chapter eight verse six says this: Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. That's Psalms 8 and 6. That's a prophetic statement. And to see the fulfillment of that, amen, glory to God, um, look at Hebrews chapter 2. And let's look at verses 6 through 10. But And it reads, But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him? A little lower than the angels, thou crowned him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god should taste death for every man for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering In that whole set of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, you see the fulfillment of that statement by Jesus. Amen. Let's take a look at another statement. We have, uh, I want you to turn to uh, Psalms chapter 16, and let's look at verse number 10. And we're just going to work our way through this. Amen. And it says, Psalm 16 through 16 and verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Where do we see the fulfillment of this statement? Turn the book to the book of Acts chapter two, verse 27. And we have this statement being echoed again by the apostle. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And if you read a little bit before um, chapter verse 27, you'll see the whole context of that. And you'll see that we see in the book of Acts, the fulfillment or the declaration of the fulfillment of that prophetic statement that was first echoed in Psalms chapter 16, verse number 10. Take a look at Psalms 22, verse number one. Let's this, get this prophetic statement. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Amen. If you've been reading the scripture and you're familiar with the New Testament, as soon as you heard that, your mind probably went to the cross. Yes, and what you suspect is exactly what's happened. You hear Jesus on the cross Quoting the scripture or quoting the psalm, talk about using the psalm for every situation. Here he is being executed in the process of being murdered, and even in this situation, he finds an opportunity to use the psalms. We see the fulfillment in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, and here it is. We've got Jesus crying out. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lamat, Sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Amen. Look at Psalms 22 and verse 8. There's another prophetic statement. And it reads, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That statement should bring back familiarity for those of you who are familiar with the gospels. Let's look at the fulfillment of that um, back in Matthew, back in chapter 27. But instead of verse 46, let's look at verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Look at that as they were mocking Jesus, And you see the fulfillment, these prophetic statements. And I, and as we're going through this, what I want you to keep in mind is, is that these statements, the fulfillment of these statements, is literally occurring hundreds of years after they were spoken. Here's another statement. Here's, an, here's another statement. Uh, Psalms 22, verse uh, 16 says, For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's a prophetic statement pointing to the crucifixion. Where do we see this? Look at John, St. John chapter 20, verse 25. And it reads, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands, the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Here's another prophetic statement. Look at Psalms 22 um, and look at verse 18 says, they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We see the fulfillment in St. John 19 and 24. Which reads, they said, therefore, unto, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but let us cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldier did. We see these prophetic statements and we see the fulfillment. Here's another one. Look at Psalms chapter 40, verses seven through seven and eight, which says, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, the law is within my heart. Look at Hebrews 10 and seven, and we see the fulfillment of this. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will o god so you're seeing these prophetic statements that are taking place in the psalms and then you take go then you then you fast forward hundreds of years and you see the fulfillment of these very statements and at the time of these statements remember you got to understand the writer of psalm the writer who's penned them and I didn't say specifically because they were written by various writers, the writers of the Psalms, when they were penning these messianic or these prophetic statements, keep in mind, they didn't know how this was going to be fulfilled. They didn't know who, they had no clue, no idea whatsoever. They were simply speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And in the process of being influenced or prompted by the Holy Ghost, these writers made statements. And these statements that were made at the time didn't seem to have any relevance. They seemed or could appear to be as statements that had no bearing or were just simply random statements. And it's not until you get into the New Testament that you find out that, whoa, wait a minute, God was laying down a blueprint and was setting some things in order or in motion that he was going to fulfill or that he was going to wrap up hundreds of years later. This is not even the end of it. Look at Psalms 41 and uh, verse number nine. Yea, my own family, friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Talking about the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. You look at John three eighteen. He that believeth on him is not. Uh, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son of God. And when you get into it, and you continue to go through these scriptures, you go a little bit further, and you go into these things. You 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 find how these scriptures. And elements of these scriptures that are prophetic in nature find fulfillment in the different acts and the things that were done in the New Testament. Psalms 45 and 6 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Hebrews 1 and 8 then comes and tells us, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And so with this, you can see, amen, that the Psalms not only contain a prophetic element in them, but you see also the power of God because the prophetic element or the prophecy or the prophetic statements that were proclaimed in the Psalms during this time would not find fulfillment until hundreds of years later. And brothers and sisters, only God Almighty can pull something like that off. The Psalms are absolutely wonderful. And there are many different categories of the Psalms, but And they have a purpose and they can be used in any situation, but it's wonderful to know that not only were they used in everyday or can they be used in everyday situation, not only is it amazing to see how they would be used in in temple worship, not only is it amazing to know that how these psalms were put to music and, 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 and instruments um, that, that sounded beautifully would play as the psalms would be sung and herald forth. Not only do they contain prayers and all of these different things, but they also contain prophecy that pointed to the fulfillment or the solution of the sin situation. We were all lost in sin. And man needed a Savior. And it is wonderful to think and wonderful to know that how even in the Psalms, God used the Psalms to herald the message to the ages, to mankind, that a Savior was coming. Amen.